Hello and welcome to a new episode of Behind the Grind podcast. We're your hosts, I'm Paige. And I'm Miharika. Today you'll be hearing from Fenny, the CEO of Oak Tree. Now we're sure that you've all heard of Oak Tree, but if you needed a refresher, Oak Tree is the largest Australian youth-based non-government organisation that works towards alleviating poverty through funding, empowerment and leadership projects overseas and building the capacity and influence of young people in Australia. One of their largest funding campaigns is a fantastic initiative called Live Below the Line. It challenges people to feed themselves off $2 a day for five days, which is the Australian equivalent of the extreme poverty line. Outside of Oak Tree, Fenu has a fair bit of podcast experience herself. During her exchange to France, she started her own podcast called World Views and is currently the host of the Australian Institute of International Affairs, Dyson House podcast. With all that experience, Fenu makes for a fantastic podcast guest. So we will get started and let her introduce herself. So my name is Thenu and four months ago, I just started up as the CEO of Oak Tree and we're a youth-run development agency that works across the Asia Pacific to build leadership and empowerment opportunities for young people. Very, very excited to have you with us. We will start off with our usual question. We ask everyone this, but what is your favorite coffee order? Oh, such a good question. And I'm going to be very (laughs) controversial and say I don't actually drink coffee. Yes. Oh I mean, everyone keeps telling me that between my new job and doing law school very part-time as well, that I, I will transition to the dark side, but I'm a big chai latte drinker though. That's like my entrance into it is I'll have a dirty chai, which absolutely appalls my mother because she just doesn't understand why I'm having coffee and tea in the one drink. But it is a good way to get started if you need like a little bit of caffeine, but you like a chai latte. Totally. I think maybe I will start to transition really slowly, but for now, I'll stick to the tries. Yeah. This one is a bit of a fun one too. What is a song that you would play to put you in a good mood? Oh, I can't believe I'm going to tell you guys this. I'm actually a huge fan of Irish folk music. So not where I start going at all. <laughs> I have a playlist, so it's almost better than coffee. It just gets me up in the morning. It's just a playlist of Irish tunes that just make me feel very, very happy. And- oh, my goodness. That is actually quite cool. I guess the last little question to find out a little bit more about you is if you could be an elite athlete in any sport, what sport would it be? That's such a hard question. And if you say doing your readings, it's not a sport. (laughs) No, no, no. As someone who is very non-sporty, though, I'll take whatever sport I can get. But I've always admired divers. I just think they have, I don't know, it's a really great sort of athleticism that's quite different. So probably diving. Yeah, 100%. Divers are crazy. I say that as a swimmer, divers are crazy. (laughs) I did gymnastics when I was younger. And then after that, I tried to do like every single sport that even remotely had like flips or anything in it. And I tried diving and that was when I realized that I'm absolutely petrified of heights. I was like, no way am I jumping off this? Well, that's the thing. I feel like it takes so much to, first of all, jump from a height like that. And into water. I think that's the other thing. It's like, I see water, I don't go, oh, I want to dive into it. I want to swim in it. Yeah, maybe, but not dive. You're right. They're an entirely different kind of athlete and it's a crazy sport to be a part of. I say that with a little bit of jealousy and a little bit of like, I wouldn't do that. (laughs) Well, can you tell us a little bit more maybe about what you do and your journey and how you've gotten to become the CEO of Oaktree and all the little things that maybe led you towards that. Yeah, awesome question, Nia. And I actually really struggled to put this into a really 
coherent <laughs> answer because there's so many different aspects of my life that sort of culminated in this opportunity that I'm in today. And I actually think I might start before I was even born. So my parents, they immigrated from Sri Lanka in the 90s during the Sri Lankan Civil War. And obviously it was a really tough time for everyone in my extended family going through a war like that. And growing up here in Australia, they always instilled in me this sort of idea that we were really lucky to get the life that we got. And through that, they really encouraged myself and my brother to actively give back wherever we could, whether that be to our family back home in Sri Lanka or to those that were less fortunate than us growing up in Adelaide as well. And I think through that, they instilled in me this desire to to fix a lot of the injustices that I saw happening around the world. And through that sort of family background, I started volunteering a lot while I was in high school and throughout my undergraduate degree as well with a number of not-for-profits that worked mostly in international development. And it was at the end of last year, actually, that an old tutor of mine who sent me this opportunity saying that, oh, then you you have to apply. Um, (laughs) And I did. And I, to be honest with you, thought I was vastly unqualified. I mean, you see the whole EO in a position description and no one under the age of at least 50, I think, thinks that they're qualified enough for that. But I did put my name in the ring and it was the most amazing recruitment experience. And the more I went through that, the more I really thought that, you know, this is this is something that I really want to be a part of. And I was lucky that they saw that in me as well. So it's been four months now in the role, leading a team of over 50 around Australia has definitely had its challenges, but mostly the biggest win so far in launching our biggest campaigns and going around and meeting all the amazing young people that we work with across the Asia Pacific. That's so cool. No, I was just going to say, I just sat there with like my jaw in my hand for the whole time. Just like, wow. Thinking was like, wow, your parents really set challenges for you. Throughout my entire life, it was just this constant theme of really give back and yeah. Yeah, no, I think, I think that definitely like that's something I can relate to. My parents also immigrated here, not from the same sort of circumstances, but you know, I think immigrants that come here, we definitely have this notion of how lucky we are to be here. And as part of that, it's always been like, you need to volunteer, you need to do these things and give back to people that don't have what we have and we were lucky to get. Yeah, it's a huge thing. And there's a great quote, our parents realise how bad it can be, but we realise how good it can be as well. Because obviously they've immigrated from somewhere for a reason and generally probably for a better life for their children. And then the kids all see everything through sort of rose-coloured glasses here. And and I can imagine that would be exciting for the parents and the children, but also it can be challenging at times to try and get you guys to understand what it can be like for them as well. It actually leads to a lot of the stuff that can reform here in Australia as well. And like being a child of an immigrant, it's hard to find that balance between being really grateful and lucky for the life that we have here, but also wanting to contribute to our new home and new community. And I don't know, I forget, I think because I've been here for like, what, 20 20 plus years. I almost don't think of myself as an immigrant sometimes, but I am. And it's important to think about how that affects the decisions and things and the journey that I have. No, that's lovely. And I feel like that might help inform the next question, which is why are you passionate about Oak Tree particularly? What made you go for that sort of CEO role over maybe some of staying at some of the other not-for-profits that you've been part of? 
Yeah. So the plethora of issues that we're seeing around the world right now, whether they be climate change, gender inequality, poverty, they all can be solved by empowering young people to lead their own communities development and young people know this is such a huge cliche but what we say at Oak Tree all the time is young people really are the key to unlocking the solutions for the biggest issues of our time and I think that's what excites me most about Oak Tree's work every day I get to work with awesome really passionate young people around Australia and the Asia Pacific who really care about their own communities and the broader global community as well and amplifying that impact to then inspire and educate other people in their communities too. So it's a very holistic approach to a lot of problems by empowering young people. And I think that's what attracts me most to Oak Tree and what makes me really excited every day. That sounds so good. I definitely think it is a very well-known organisation among young people as well. I think particularly in like the uni space or at least at Melbourne Uni, Oak Tree is definitely something that everyone knows about. I'm assuming it'd be similar across other universities and potentially across Australia, but how do you go about sort of fostering that involvement for such a large-scale organisation? So Oak Tree, just to give you a little bit of a background, has been around for 18 years. And we've, as you said, sort of had this continuous presence in a lot of young people's lives. Like I certainly remember Oak Tree when I was probably around 10 years old. So it's been an inherent part of everyone's lives, I think, especially people who have been interested in that social impact space. And in terms of getting people involved and really caring about the issues that we tackle, I don't think we have to do much at all. I think young people are inherently very aware and wanting to do more to better their communities and better communities around the world as well. So we don't have to try too hard to get young people on on our cause. We find that universities and youth groups and just generally young people from all around Australia really already care about these issues. It's just about giving them a platform to do something about that. No, I definitely think that's true. And I think I've done Live Below the Line a few times, which is honestly so much harder than I think it's going to be every time. I'm like, I can do it. It's only five days and I get to the end every time. I'm like, what? It's tricky. It's it impossible. When you think about it, like today I bought a coffee for $4 and that is two days worth of food during that week. So for those of you who don't, who don't know what Live Below the Line is, it's our biggest campaign across the whole year. We challenge people from all over Australia to live under $2 a day for five days. So that's $10 for the whole week. And usually, I don't know about you guys, but I spend about $20 on just lunch. So it's going to be a challenge, that's for sure. But the reality is that because of COVID-19 in particular, an extra 88 million people this year will be living that reality every day. While we can complain about having to do it for five days, it unfortunately is the reality for so, so many people around the world. It's such a good fundraiser because it really makes you reflect on how privileged we are and that we should all be doing a little bit more for sure. But I guess going off that and coordinating all the sort of programs Oak Tree runs, including Live Below the Line, how do people donating here in Australia and through our universities and all of those sort of things go towards capacity building overseas to improve their conditions? Awesome question, Paige. So we are running programs in Cambodia and Timor-Leste in particular at the moment. And all the funds that will be raised through Live Below the Line and all our other efforts are directed towards as you said, capacity building, capability building workshops. So to give you a little bit of an example, one of our programs in Cambodia, which is called the Kyla program, empowers young people to take education opportunities and scholarship opportunities in their local schools and local universities. And one of our programs in Timor-Leste actually looks at leadership skills 
And through actually theatre and public speaking opportunities gives young people more confidence to approach their leaders in their communities. And an awesome outcome that we got a couple of months ago was that one of the village chiefs actually said that the young people who participated in this program were key stakeholders in their community and they were really actively going to go forth and listen to what young people wanted in their COVID recovery. So directly trying to connect young people to decision makers and trying to give them a voice in their own COVID recovery is really what our programs are directed to at the moment. That's incredible. It sounds like they really enjoy it as well, which is fantastic and that the program's also respected by the communities there. I was going to say that bit, especially in countries like that, I feel like it must be hard. You know, the leaders in those communities might not be as willing as maybe some of our leaders in engaging youth voices. So it's awesome that that is actually happening. And the number one pillar of all of Oak Tree's work is that we are inherently community centric. I think one of the biggest challenges working in the development sector is that there are a lot of neo-colonial undertones going through this, that Mm -hmm. we have the ideas that are going to solve all these problems. But the reality Mm -hmm. is we don't. People in those local communities know more than anyone else what that community needs. So our our work is inherently centred around empowering the voices of people in that community to lead and really demand that change themselves. Yeah, I don't even have words. It's huge. Can you tell us a bit more, I guess, about what your role entails, maybe what is a typical day in the life for you? And that can be at Oak Tree, but also how do you fit it in with all the other things that you do? And what are maybe the most exciting and enjoyable parts of the work that you do? Yeah, and I think that last sentence is really important. A big sort of life philosophy of mine is just to stop at any point in which that I am not enjoying what I do and find a passion in what I do. And so the last four months have been an absolute whirlwind. I would be lying if I said that I have not struggled to manage everything at once while I get used to while I get used <laughs> to this new lifestyle. But overall, if I could describe a day in the life, I suppose. It would just be a lot of meetings on Zoom and in person, (laughs) running from place to place, trying to manage a lot of different stakeholders at once. And I think that's been the biggest learning curve, but the most exciting thing for me coming into a role like this. Being able to work with young people every day is awesome. And that is always married and accompanied by working with our board, working with our major donors and grants and philanthropy and um, corporate partnerships. And a couple of weeks ago, I was lucky enough to also go up to Canberra and meet some of the other sector leaders we work with and some of the politicians that we lobby with as well. So it's just a lot of different stakeholders would be my number one defining feature of each day. But the more and more I settle into this role, the more enjoyable it becomes as I start to find my groove. Yeah. (laughs) No, I'm sure they're they're big shoes to fill and I'm sure you're doing a great job, but I can completely understand that it, you know, takes a bit of time to get there, but definitely sounds like you're on track and you're finding the motivation and the things to keep it going. I was just going to say to answer the second part of your question, I think doing that one day a week of uni really allows me to have that continuous learning opportunity as well. And I'm finding Mm. that that I'm learning at law school of complementary issues that I'm facing in the organization and it has helped me a lot as well. So I feel really privileged and lucky to be able to do both. Did you find that decision hard to make of taking a step back from uni? Because I know that if I tell my mum, I'm going to do one day of uni a week. She'd be like, excuse me, what? Yeah. Um, She'd just be like, "Uh, that's not what you signed up for with uni. And even personally, I know that it would be a bit hard for me to make that step of being like, okay, well, I need to think about what I am motivated about, what I want to prioritize for right now. And I'm sure that decision is a big one. How did you feel about making all of that? Yeah, totally. They were all questions I asked myself when I got the job offer. But I think I knew straight away that I was going to do this because 
I don't know if you've read the book The Alchemist by Paula Coelho. I recommend that book to everyone. <laughs> I think it's so good. I have actually yeah, multiple I'm, copies of it because they brought out the 100 year edition and it had like a new cover. Oh my goodness. I feel like you're reading my mind. It is honestly my favorite book of all time. I would say I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't read it, but there's a lot of metaphors in there about really finding what your purpose in life is and really knowing what you work hard for and why you want to work hard for. And I think for a lot of my life, I have been driven to work like Oak Tree does for a reason. And when I got this job, I knew that I had to take it. And when I thought about law school, I knew that it could definitely come back into my life later on, even if I do have to take a break. So I wasn't as scared dropping down to part-time because I knew that this role was where I was meant to be. Yeah. I think that's a really important message for anyone that's listening is that, you know, it is okay to make those decisions to put uni on the back burner a little bit because you're doing something that you're passionate about. I think sometimes we can get really stuck in the like, oh, well, no, uni is the thing I signed up for. So uni is the thing I need to do right now. And you might close yourself to some other opportunities that are really good. So it's awesome that you've shared that. Thank you. Totally. And I think I've had that actually come up again and again, even during my undergraduate degree. And every time that I have made that tough decision to prioritize something other than you need, it's definitely paid off. So I think my one piece of advice to anyone who is going through a similar conflict within themselves is to really trust yourself and trust that it'll work out in the end. No, for sure. And speaking of all the other things that you do, we know that you're involved in a lot of other projects and you're a bit of a podcaster yourself. Could you tell us a little bit more about how you balance all these responsibilities? Maybe what are some of the strategies that you have in place to kind of make sure that you are looking after yourself? Me. So this is such a difficult question and it's something that I'm continuously learning to get better at every day. But I think one thing that I've discovered is the power of saying no. I'm a big yes man. Like I say yes to everything because I'm really afraid of the opportunity cost that I might lose. I think no one can do everything. And the biggest tactic that I've used in the last four months is actually say no. So unfortunately, like a lot of my podcasting endeavors have been put on hold for now, for example. And the things that I have committed to, I'm really ensuring that I have the capacity to commit to fully at this point, because I was finding at the start of this role that I was spreading my load too thin. But in terms of managing the stuff that I am focusing on at the moment, I love a good Trello board (laughs) and just continuously relying on my calendar for my life at this stage and trying to be as efficient as I can with the time I have on certain things. But in saying that, I am not at all immune to the woes of procrastination. And I think the way that I manage it is just like scheduling in time, just in case I do procrastinate, just making myself be kind to myself in that way as well. And making sure I'm looking after myself, giving myself the space to just binge an episode of Netflix and yeah, just continuously evaluating what's working and what's not. I keep my lists on like paper because like even someone told me to use Trello and I got too distracted by choosing what background I wanted it to look <laughs> like. And so I was like, okay, no, I just need to write it down because you can't choose anything. It just goes on the paper. I've been a procrastination queen recently. I'm procrastinating thinking about how much I procrastinate. I spend time rewriting my list, which is like why... If you look at these lists of things and then mine, mine are just like literally me scribbling down exactly as it comes out of my head and these lists will be like 
colour coordinated. And mine's just like a big ass nest that no one else besides myself can decipher. Sorry, I just work really well with colours. Okay. <laughs> oh, see, I wish I had that. And I feel like I don't know if you've ever done the Myers Briggs personality test. Really. I'm a bit scared of personality tests, to be honest. I don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> There's just one trait on that that tries to outweigh your like ability to be organized and your ability to be like spontaneous. And I definitely am right in the middle. And it just my inability to be list orientated comes out very strongly sometimes but I like thrive on them so it's very confusing oh no that's that's a good that's a good balance to have I am absolutely just on the organized side Paige will be like like, Paige's at one end and I'm at the other so somehow (laughs) we meet in the middle because she'll be like what about like at this thing and I'm like so right now she's like no and I'm like oh okay like (laughs) what about right this second or can we do it later or like We'll be doing something and someone will be like, oh, can you do this? I'm like, yeah, I can, even though I have no time and it's not scheduled and it's nowhere. I'm like, yeah, yeah. sure, whatever. Yeah, I definitely relate. As, as someone before pre-COVID times as well, I did just get on a flight one day without any prior booking and went to a different country. Are you kidding? So I feel like it comes out <laughs> very sporadic. <laughs> That's not me. That's not me, but I am jealous. Like I wish I was spontaneous like that. People would be like, do you want to do this? And I'd be like, uh, no, I didn't put it in my calendar, so no. All right, now that we've got very off track. (laughs) What do you think has been your biggest success so far? Either in the role, I know it's only been four months, or it could be the CEO position itself or something more broadly about maybe a impact that you think you've made in this sector. Yeah, that's a really, really good question. My measure of success is always my ability to continue to have time and focus on the things I love the most, which is my family and friends. And so that's something that I'm really proud of. But in terms of actual work, We're going through a whole new strategy process at the moment where we're really critically thinking about our work as an organization and how we can have the most impact. And I think probably what I'm proudest about is being confident enough to bring up those things that I didn't quite see were working. I'm someone who doesn't like conflict at all. (laughs) So I'm proud of myself for for working on that and being able to do that over the last four months. That's a great achievement because I think particularly Mm. like easing back out of everything, it's been like really difficult for people to balance their lives again. Once everything opened up, we were just seeing all of our friends all of the time and it was like okay it's awesome that we have this freedom but too we do have things that we need to be doing at home yeah I mean I think you have to appreciate us after a whole year almost whole year of being locked down I think we deserve that a little bit on a complete opposite of that what do you think has maybe been your biggest lesson or learning curve that you've had we can make this very broad across your whole life. <laughs> I think for me, I'm, I might limit it to the last four months in my role. <laughs> I think the biggest learning curve for me has been to stay really impact focused throughout all the things that can come up during a day. Being a manager, there are so many nitty gritty issues that come up that can make you lose track of the bigger goal and your team to lose track of the bigger goal. So the biggest learning for me is to always remember what you're doing things for. And since I've sort of been aware of that, I feel like it served me really well. No, that's so good. And almost like good advice in there too. (laughs) Yeah. Building on getting some more advice from you. What are some of the skills that you think are great for people that are interested in wanting to work in areas of social impact? And what are some ways that they can build on those skills? Yeah. So I would say, first of all, that more than anything, you need an understanding of 
exactly what you have to contribute to that area. Again, I feel like this is a very classic piece of advice, but I think it's it's really important to try and find your niche, why you care about this issue and why you want to be here. Yeah. So it was actually Gillian Triggs who said more than anything, she recommends young people to bring a hard skill to the sector and to social impact. So I think a lot of people come in to social impact with the best intentions, but what we have found over the last, I guess, century of international development is that more than anything, we need people who have key skills in whether it be economics, law, politics, sociology, that can actually bring something to the table. You can get stuck in a volunteerism trap otherwise if people be coming in with the best intentions, but not actually having something to contribute to the communities that you're working in. So I guess the biggest piece of advice and something I wish I knew earlier as well was to really gain some of those hard skills that can set you apart no that's that's really good and I think that's really important for people to hear because I mean I thought you were going to be like communication skills and all the other kind of like soft skills but you're right hard skills are really important in these kinds of areas what you said at the start as well of finding your why I think is really important as well. I I don't want to lessen the importance of soft skills. I think they're more important than anything. But I think because traditionally a lot of the development sector has focused on having people with those kind of skills, I think right now to set you apart, it is really important to bring some of those hard skills to the table too. Yeah, no, great tip. I think that's so, so handy. I guess to wrap up this little episode, how can people get involved in Oaktree if they're not already? What are some of those streams that you use to help to get volunteers and also donations and things? Yeah, awesome. So we have volunteers all across Australia. So I would really encourage everyone to head to our website to find out what current volunteering opportunities are available. I will forward it on to you guys to follow on to listeners as well if they would like further opportunities. Feel free to contact me directly if you have any questions as well. And we would love everyone to get involved in our Live Below the Line campaign that we were talking about before. We've just launched on Friday and it'll be taking place in the last week of May. Um, it would it'd be great to get as many people on there as possible. And if not, donate to one of your friends who who is taking part. Yeah, no, that's lovely. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for sharing so much about your journey all the way from before you're even born, which I think has given us a really great insight into you and who you are and what Oshree does. And I think it's been really, really interesting to hear about. And you've shared lots of nice advice along the way. So thank you very, very much. Thank you both so much for having me. It's been so much fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of Behind the Grind. We're so thrilled to be able to bring you these boardroom chats from such a diverse range of guests. If you are interested in being involved with Oaktree, you can visit their website that outlines a whole bunch of ways that you can contribute to alleviating poverty around the world. That's all from us and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. And to keep up to date, make sure you've subscribed wherever you listen to your podcast and follow us on Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn. These links are in your show notes.